Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So with that beautiful music, we align ourselves to the silence out of which the notes emerged. And we align ourselves also with the soul of Claude Debussy. Bob so beautifully captures his soul when he allows the music to emerge from within himself. So we know that every moment is an opportunity to touch that space, that sacred space of the soul. It wants to express through the music of the universe, through the compassion of the heart, through the genius of the intellect, to the virtue of our actions. When the soul expresses we belong to a greater sense of wholeness. It's what Emerson called the oversoul, the one life, revealing itself throughout all creation. And so as we hear it in the music, it's because that same oversoul is awakening within ourselves. And we share that space, that context. All there is, is this spiritual essence in multiplicity, expressing in life. And instead of identifying with the individualized self, we are shifting through a discovery of something so much greater. It's what Thomas Merton called the hidden wholeness within all creation. And so we open to that wholeness. Dr. Ernest Holmes said it is the perception of wholeness that is all healing. And so instead of identifying with our fragmented physical challenges in life and the labels that we might have given them, we open to something that is beyond labels. Huh. And we smile. Henry David Thoreau, the Zen calendar this morning said, only that day dawns to which we are awake. And so this Sunday morning, I invite you to allow that part of us that is awake to enter into this space so that we might discover yet again a deeper sense of belonging uh, to that, uh, to that. Tatuam asi, thou art that. And so we smile to this discovery process. In the month of December, I'm going to explore the salient idea that we are all on the brink of everything. 
the brink of a new life, the brink of a new moment, the brink of a deeper discovery. At whatever age we are, if we're one day old, if we're 74 and two, it's the same brink at whatever age. So I invite you to enter into this experience with your eyes open. And today we're going to explore the view from the brink, whatever that might mean. It's kind of fun to play, isn't it? To not really know where you are, but know that you're where you need to be. This is the moment the Lord has made. Could we rejoice and be glad in it? We started our little class uh, on Wednesday morning called Living from the Soul. And it's some of the great messages of Emerson woven through a Taoist teacher. And, uh, you know, simple ideas like know thyself. Simple ideas like discover God within yourself. Simple ideas that all you have is the sacred moment. How are you using the moment? And in the simplicity, you find the profoundness because it's not a concept of the mind, but rather it's the context of the soul. And then it's life is, hey, Janet, come on in. She gave me this lovely birthday card that had all my dogs on the cover of it. It's, it's as if I could see their little faces laughing at me. And it reminded me that spirit doesn't die, that we are ancient spiritual beings and the ancestors live in us in ways we can't even imagine. So could we open to this interspiriting experience called life in a playful way? And that's what I intend to do. I, in this next 75th year of my life, as Trey would say. Yes, you turned 74, but you're really entering your 75th year. So Bob, you're entering your 65th year, which means social security is on the horizon. And she's nodding her head. If we still have social security in this country, you know they might rescind it. I've heard that they're trying to get rid of No, I'm just kidding. I have to goof on this stuff. One of the things that Parker Palmer says, in order to live life well, you have to learn to laugh at life. And he quoted Leonard, Leonard Cohen. What did Leonard Cohen say that made me laugh? Leonard Cohen said, mm -hmm, my friends are gone, my hair is gray, and I ache in the places where I used to play. <laughs> my friends are gone, my hair is gray, and I ache in the places that I used to play. Now you can laugh at that. And you know, when you get to a certain age, the back doesn't work the way the back used to work. The knees don't work the way the knees used to work. And you begin to say, okay, could I then have a different relationship with this body of mine? Yesterday, I watched the, um, the soccer game over in Qatar where the U.S. played uh, the Netherlands. And I watched those young, it's the youngest American team we've had. And I watched them running across that field. And Susan, my knees hurt the whole time they were running. I thought, could I, did I used to run like that and fall and get up and run and run? And now I go up and down the stairs carrying the pug and my knees are going, oh, this pug is heavy. I better hold on to the side here because my knee might give out. But you got to walk up and down the stairs and the pug needs to be carried. So you learn to mindfully move. Yeah, so, hmm. So this is the lovely little Parker Palmer book on the brink of everything. And what's so interesting, this we taught this last year and I absolutely loved it. I gave it to all my friends. This is the last book. It's his 10th book. And he was 79 years of age when he penned this book. And he thought he was done. He'd, everything he had to say, he'd already said it. You know, he wrote the book called The Hidden Wholeness. And I mean, a brilliant man. 
But at 79, he received a book from someone else and it was this young woman who had just had a baby and the baby's name was Maya. And she said, this baby is changing my life because she lives on the brink of everything. And as he was reading about the baby, he was saying, well, I may be 79, but I'm also on the brink of everything. It's not just the infants. And so could we begin to see our life as a threshold? Who am I being in this sacred moment? Am I being someone who's living from this uh, higher awareness in service to something greater than me? Or am I still making life about me and my concerns and my needs? Because if you're stuck on you, you're too small. This is about the universe. This isn't about you. I remember Llewellyn Von Lee said, it's not about you. It's never been about you. So for all of you out there who want to make it about you, it ain't about you. It's about finding a way for this divine something to express and reveal itself. So I'm going to just dive into some delicious moments of this lovely man, Parker Palmer, who I'm in love with. And he says this, every day I get closer to the brink of everything. We're all headed that way, of course, even when we're young, though most of us are too busy with unimportant matters to ponder our mortality. So you're old enough now to get serious. This is the life that you've been given. How are you um, savoring it, celebrating it, honoring it? You, you know, you're given one go around. Are you going to make the most out of it or are you going to squander it and flip it away? Oh, I'm just asking. He says, here's 79 years of age. He says, I'm even more surprised by the fact that I like being old. Now, why does he like being old? Because he knows who he is. Because he's not lost in some fakata idea about him and his needs being met. No, he's living from the fullness of his soul, as are you, Miss Sylvia, at age 80. So he says, age brings diminishments. I'll agree to that. But more than a few come the great benefits of age. Well, I picked this up because I'm 74 now and I thought I needed to read from a 79-year-old what it's really all about. He said, at 79, I've lost the capacity for multitasking. You know, I'm terrified when people multitask around me. I'll be riding in the car with Trey. He's texting. He's checking the glove compartment and he's doing these kind of things. And he's, well, he's driving the car eating a sandwich, drinking a cup of coffee. I've lost the capacity for multitasking, but he said, I've rediscovered the joy of doing one thing at a time. Well, if you're gonna cut vegetables up, cut the vegetables up. Don't have a conversation or you're gonna cut your finger off, Raul. I know how clumsy you are. So my thinking has slowed down a bit, but experience has made it deeper and richer. My mind isn't running around like a monkey in a tree, Miss Judy, but it's learned to focus and to say, yeah, I've slowed down and my thoughts are deeper and richer. Bob and I had the most wonderful conversation about music before we did this service today and how when music comes from the soul, it's, it's a download from the universe. So could we open to those moments of download? Because they're all the time if we just tune into them. So my thinking has slowed down a bit. My experience has made it deeper and richer and I'm done with big and complex projects, but more aware of the loveliness of just simple things, the loveliness of simple things, a talk with a friend, a walk in the woods, sunsets and sunrises, a night of good sleep.
you know, sleep is such a precious thing, especially when you can't sleep. And then when you find that uh, it sometimes it just takes cuddling up under the covers with a snoring pug and you, you drift off into slumberland. He says this is Parker. I have fears, of course. I always have and I always will. But it, as time lengthens like the shadow behind me and the time ahead dwindles, you know, I'm in the final chapter of my life. He's very aware of. He says, then my overriding feeling is one of gratitude for this simple gift of the life that I've been given. Whoa, it's 79. He wants to cherish whatever time he has left. What do you think, Miss Barbara? We're all on the brink of everything. He's pointing to something. Above all, this is just the prelude. He hasn't even gotten into the meat. Above all, I like being old because the view from the brink is striking. Gigi knows what I'm talking about. Because you're no longer looking out and having your narrative and all your whatever. You're looking out and you're seeing the sunrise over the ocean. You're seeing the trees losing their leaves, letting them go and reminding you. Sometimes maybe we need to let go of something that we're clinging to. You begin to see things differently. As one of Kurt Vonnegut's characters said in Player Piano, on the edge, you can see all kinds of things that you can't see from the center. So could we be willing to go to that threshold of life that's inviting us to change, that's inviting us to shed some things and open to new things? We're at the threshold of something that's calling us. Maybe it's retirement, Bob. I'm just going to plant that seed. Well, you're on the threshold. You're almost 65. Well, one more year left, and I think, well, we'll see what happens. Looking back, I see why I needed the tedium and the inspiration, why I needed the anger and the love. It's all sacred, not just the warm fuzzies, Miss Barbara. So he says, I see the anguish and the joy as part of my transformation. I see how it all belongs. The calamities that I once lamented now appear as strong threads of a larger weave. Anybody got any strong threads in their weave? Because you faced something that was uncomfortable and you had the courage to say no to something, so you were saying yes to something else. One of his great lessons in life is, he said, is the word bastante. Who knows what bastante means? Raul does. It means enough. And he says, and when I've had enough, of what doesn't serve my soul, I'm done with it. Now, could we have the courage at whatever age to say enough? I've stepped out of that dynamic in a relationship because it isn't healthy. Michael was talking about that earlier. You know when to pivot. As Jody and I have had many conversations about the enough factor. So I'm getting waylaid. Out on the edge, you can see all kinds of things that you can't see from the center. So looking back at 79, I see why I needed the tedium of inspiration. I did all that stuff with the anger. Okay, calamities were necessary. And I've doubled down on my gratitude for all of those who helped me along the way. <laughs> the ones that loved me and affirmed me, the ones that questioned me, and the ones with daunting challenges. They've taught me compassion and forgiveness along the way. So then life becomes a reflection on the richness of that which is required for us to become the people that we are now at this stage of life. Isn't that reassuring? That even though we may seem diminished, that we really are the best we've ever been at this stage of our evolution. Just a titch more. He says, I don't want to fight the gravity of my aging. It's nature's way. I want to rather collaborate with it the best way that I can in hopes of going down with something like the grace of that setting sun. I want my knees to be able to dance, Miss Susan, 
and not just ache as I go down the stairs. I want my spine to be flexible and not achy, achy when I lie down or sit in a chair. I, I travel now with my tennis balls in socks behind my back as I work the acupressure points. And I've made an appointment with an acupuncturist so that I can start realigning my body to this flow. I've made an appointment with Jenny. And it's all to, to have a positive, loving relationship with the life form that I'm still experiencing. He says this, um, Thomas Carlyle says, I accept the universe, proclaimed Margaret Fuller. Gad, she said, she'd better, replied Carlyle. I'm with her in this little spat, though I do admire his wit. I don't know what that was all about. We have no choice, he says, about death. It's an inevitability for all of us. But we do have a choice to talk about how we're going to hold this inevitable within our consciousness. Well, when the time comes and we make our transition, could we do it with a song in our heart and know that we are not really leaving anything, that we're stepping into a field of divine love? It was John O'Donohue that says, when you make your transition and you enter into the invisible realm of spirit, he says, then you're with the visible and you're with the invisible at the same time. And so what if we get to have a bigger order of seeing? There's so many on the other side for all of us. And he's reminding us that. So how we travel this arc between our sunrise and our sundown is ours to choose. Will it be one of denial and defiance? Or is it going to be one of collaboration? Huh, I'll choose collaboration at whatever age, you know. This young man turned 40 this week and he was sad. He said, I feel like I'm 39 going on death. And I, I reflected back to him. I said, you know, when I turned 40, it was the happiest day of my life. I'm finally in the fabulous 40s and I've left the turbulent 30s. So sometimes it's all how you see it. And then when you get to the 50s, well, my God, the fertile 50s and then the sexy 60s. Judy, it gets even better, doesn't it? And, yeah, and you like getting older. Well, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all perspective. Writing, she says, at this stage of life is an unfolding of what's going on inside me as I talk to myself on a pad of paper or a computer. That's the soul coming through. In, inside me, I talk to myself. It's coming through a version of talk therapy that requires neither an appointment nor a fee. So this book, my 10th, is one fruit of my collaboration with a life well lived. And it's an offering from a fellow traveler to those who share this road pondering the imponderable as we go. Whoa, that's my biggest game in town, to ponder the imponderable as we move through the mystery of life, and it is a mystery. Well, then how are you meeting the mystery? Are you meeting it with the idea you gotta figure it out? Or you can say, there's no way to figure this thing out, but I can enter into it with curiosity and discover this intimacy with the beloved. And now remember, it's all the beloved, and the beloved is wanting to um, have a relationship with all of us. As I was driving to the center this morning, I saw a squirrel on the side of the road who didn't make it across. Jody's shaking her head. But then as I'm going down, I saw another one that managed to get across. And so I'm realizing I'm only experiencing my resistance to the ones that didn't make it. They're still the ones that do make it. And you know, I'm not the kind of guy who's gonna shoot the squirrels out of the trees. That's not me. I'm the one that likes the fact that they go after the little nuts in the trees and they're cute and they run along the wires and they make love and play. And, you know, I'm, there's a squirrel in me. Okay, a few words about grace, gravity, and getting old. I don't need to hear about, more about getting old. Oh, he says, have a sense of humor. 
Have a sense of humor. But then he goes on to say this wonderful thing. He says, what I know now for sure is that we have come from mystery and we are going to return to the mystery. And I know this, standing closer to the reality of my own death awakens a sense of wonder at the many gifts of life that are yet to be experienced. So then he goes on this tirade, Miss Jody, about the little girl and how she's on the brink of everything. And he concludes that this little child's one purpose is to bring delight to the world. And he says at 79, could my life be about bringing delight? Now, can we make it two words, delight to the world? Ernest Holmes says in The Science of Mind, we were created for the delight of God. Well, what does that mean? Created for the delight of God. Something wants to delight in itself through its creation. I showed people in the revealing service, my little nephew, Will, he's wearing a pink sweatshirt and pink tights on his first day to preschool. And he said to my sister, he said, Om, Om, that's short for Oma, Om, Om, I need you to knit me a pink uh, cover for my baseball mitt. Maybe I'll get Serena to do it because she can knit. Om, Om, I need you to knit me a pink cover for my baseball mitt. He's three years old. Love this kid. Love this kid. Okay, so we're created for the delight of God. He says, I'm old enough to know that the world can delight me and my expectation is not of the world, but of myself. So delight in the gift of the life that you've been given huh? and be grateful for that. You know, it's a joy for me when Bob plays uh, this beautiful, soulful music because it helps me get aligned with something that is so much bigger than my egoic self. And so Parker Palmer, he's seeking to find meaning in his life. He quotes Thomas Aquinas and how Thomas Aquinas um, spoke about uh, all that I have written seems like straw to me. And Thomas Aquinas talks about finding purpose and meaning in life. So then uh, Parker Palmer at 79 said, does my life have any meaning? Well, then he started hanging in that question and he came to realize I've got the wrong question. Because if I'm asking, does my life have meaning? He says, that's my ego wanting to find meaning. And so here's how he comes to a resolution. There's a flaw at the heart of that question, a flaw that's created by my old nemesis, my unwavering ego. I wanted to be something. I wanted to be powerful. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted people to acknowledge me so my life would have meaning. He says, that's not where meaning arrives. He says, meaning comes from the fullness of your soul. Well, all of you in the soul class, listen tight. The meaning comes from your soul. He says, the best offerings of life come from your soul. Well, what's the soul then? Well, that's the question. To soul or not to soul? So he says, um, there's a lovely little poem that's called Love. And this is a gift for the soul. And Jody loves poetry, so this is for you, my love. He says, love means to learn to look at yourself the way one looks at distant things. I go to the balcony and observe David. Is David in a reactive place where he's stomping his feet and making a hissy fit? Or can I, in a detached sort of way, saying he's having a tough day today. And maybe he'll go out in the garden and he'll find a communion with Napoleon and Josie. Who knows? Love means to learn to look at yourself the way you look at distant things. For you are only one thing among many. Circle that phrase. You are only one thing among many. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It's another way of saying it. So it's not about the parts. It's about the whole. And we come here to experience the wholeness. So you are 
um, you are only one thing among many. And whoever sees that way, well, then they heal their heart. Because what happened to the little squirrel happened to me. What happens to the trees happens to me. What happens to the planet happens to us. It's all connected. And whoever sees that way heals his heart without knowing it. From various eels, a bird, a tree, they say to him, friend, you are myself. You know, it's interesting. I, I asked Bob about Claire de Lune and he Googled it up. You can Google up anything. And apparently it's a song to the moon and something about the birds singing. And it's this tribute, it's very Zoftic. And you can feel Debussy was having an experience of something that was bigger than the man. He's pointing to that same thing. A bird, a tree, you say to him, friend. And then he wants to use himself and things so that they stand in the glow of ripeness. It doesn't matter whether he knows what he serves. Who serves best doesn't always understand. Who serves best doesn't always understand. This. Uh, month, Jody sent me some photographs of a little black pug that she had rescued from the pound 10 years ago. And when that pug came into our family, we thought, because Bert and Speck were getting old, that he would make them young again. That was our mistaken thought. That was our expectation. But he served in a way that was so much different. He didn't make them young again. He brought a sense of coherence and um, belonging. It's as if he found his mother when he found baby Speck, and she found the child that she never had. Bert found another one to take care of because he was the nurturer in the family. He would clean baby Speck's ears and her eyes. And when the pug came in, he had it on steroids. He had armpits, he had ears and eyes and I mean, you name it. And it's the service was beautiful. And I got to watch that. That's what love is. When you love someone, you, you nurture them. Well, it's a bigger picture. I think he's talking about that's this love thing. Who serves best doesn't always understand how it works. So I circled this. Um, his words were a powerful reminder that I don't and can't know the meaning of my life, let alone dictate or control it. All I can control are my own intentions and my willingness to give myself to them. And may they always be to serve rather than to show off. Could my intentions be to serve? You know, when Bob comes in here on Sunday mornings, he's serving our center by creating a field of, of, of soul, if you will through the soul coming through him, through the music, so that I can then feed off of that same energy. It's the oversoul that Emerson talked about. So yeah, that's the, that's the service part. Well, I think that's kind of nice. Um, and he says, love means to learn to look at yourself the way one looks at distant things, because you're only one thing among many. So peace comes when I understand that I'm only one thing among many. There's much that I don't know about birds and trees, but this I know for sure, that they don't wonder or worry about whether their lives have meaning. They simply are, and they express their song, their beauty. They don't say, does my life have meaning? Um, we were walking the pug this morning, and I heard this song from a tree way up high, and I looked at the very tippy top of this bald tree. There's this enormous bird squawking. I said, is that a hawk, Trey? He says, yeah, I think it is a hawk. And I'm thinking, I get a little concerned for the pug because I know hawks kind of swoop down and he's a little, but you know, I don't think he would go for the pug, would he, Jody? He's a big hawk. He wouldn't, he'd be more like a chipmunk. So um, allowing oneself and the things in the world to stand in the glow of ripeness. I don't need to ask or answer the question, does my life have meaning now? All I need to do is keep living among the many things and hoping to help myself and others grow ripe with life and love as we stand under the same sun together. 
It's not easy to subdue an overwhelming ego in order to free up my adventurous soul. But he says, I'm working on this, letting my soul be the expressor of who I am. And then he he corrected himself. No, no, I'm not working on it. It's working on me. Well, what does he mean? The soul's working on me, Kelly. Well, that's kind of a, a big daunting thing to let the soul work on you. You know, we're doing this lovely class on the teachings of Emerson. And um, on Wednesday night at Satsang, I pulled out the original instead of the cliff notes, because the little 80 page book is like a cliff notes. This is like the full enchilada. You're going to the master here. And he talks about the oversoul in a way that is immense. He says, there is an immensity, that's the soul, that is not possessed and that cannot be possessed. And from within or from behind, a light shines through us unto things. This is the light of the soul. It's shining out through us. Feel into that. And it makes us aware that we are nothing <laughs> and the light is all. Well, you don't even exist, Kelly. You are a conduit for God's light and you are sitting right next to God's light and it's the same light. That's what Emerson's saying. What we commonly call man, the human being, that eating, drinking, planting, counting man does not, as we know him, represent himself, but rather misrepresents himself. We are not that egoic self that goes through life acquiring identity and labels and titles. He says that's not who we are. Him we do not respect, but the soul the soul, whose organ he is, would he let it appear through his actions, would make our knees bend. It means we would fall to our knees when we see the soul expressing through each other. When it breathes through the intellect, it is genius. It's not about knowledge, it's about wisdom. And wisdom comes from the soul. He says, um, when it breathes through his will, it is virtue. I love it when virtue shows up in people's I still think of that young lady from Missoula, Montana, who's a trans, and who said when they started passing all this draconian legislation against her community, she said, I have to be willing to be seen because when they see me, they'll know that I'm not a threat, that I'm a lovely person and my community are not threats to the other. So when it comes through her will, it is virtue. She just inspired me. And when it flows through our affections, it is love, it is compassion. So then he concludes, Emerson says, well, let the soul have its way with you. Well, what does that mean to let it have its way with you? Yeah, we get kind of different, don't we, when we come from soul. Parker Palmer, he lists the seven, the six lessons that his soul has taught him. The first one is to be true to yourself. You know, you can't live somebody else's version of your life. So what would your life be like? Are you really being honest? Is this who I am? I mean, for those of you who ended up at this spiritual center, it's because you wanted a spirituality that's greater than um, what you've been raised with. You know, they have this uh, Equality of Marriage Act in America, and apparently the House has uh, voted to make it the law of the land. And so it was on C-SPAN when I came back from uh, class on Wednesday, they were arguing whether gays should be made legal as the law of the land. And one of the Christians called in and talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, Jody, and said, God destroyed the earth because of the homosexuals. And if you're gonna make them legal so that people can see them, well, God's wrath will come down and destroy it. And I turned off C-SPAN because I didn't wanna hear it. 
But there are certain people that still think that way. So when he says, be true to yourself, have a spirituality that is true to you. You know, um, Parker Palmer says that we must be willing to speak truth to ignorance. And at the end of this book, he says, when he sees hatred on the planet, and he was raised in the Quaker tradition, where everything is about finding the inner light, finding the inner peace. And in his humanness, at the end of this book, he says, I'm one angry Quaker. And I had to laugh, Miss Jan, because he's an angry Quaker. You know, he says, I want peace, I want love, and people out there preaching hate and otherness and separation. He says, that's not going to heal our planet. So could we know that there is no other? So the first one he says is to be true to yourself. The second one, and Jody will love this, he says, poetry is the language of the soul, and I surround myself with poetry. It was Emily Dickinson said, uh, one of her poems, always tell the truth, but tell it with a slant. Whoa, I kind of like that. You tell the truth, but there's a little bit of slant. And then, and that poetry will heal your soul because it is the language of the soul. So that's his second uh, uh, beautiful lesson that he's learned from living from the soul. The third, and you've heard me say this before, it's Raoul's favorite word, bastante. You learn to say enough. Um, I remember when I was a brand new minister and the AIDS crisis was in Atlanta and I was literally drained. You talk about falling to your knees. I went to see my minister and he says, what's going on? And I said, I just can't handle it anymore. And I literally, I remember my knees buckled. And I just said, I just, I don't have it anymore. And he gave me this beautiful bastante idea. He says, you give them what you have to give and not what they want. He says, they will drain the very lifeblood out of you. But you get clear, this is enough. I can hold your hand. I can be in the hospital room with you. But I can't meet all your needs. That's, that's for you to do. I can't replace the love that you have for yourself. Your job is to love you, not, you know, but I do love you. So bastante, enough. Now, the fourth thing, and he's big on this, and Jody and I talked about this um, as far as our board positions go. He says, I need to be around young people. He says, because there's a generativity around the young. They see things with fresh eyes. And so could we, especially when you get to be 74, find some young people around you to inspire you. It could be a young dog or a young cat. I'm really kind of tired of geriatric dogs where I have to carry them everywhere. Give me a good old dog on a leash where he runs and I take him off a leash and he can chase a ball. So generativity, he says, we all need that, that youthfulness. And um, he says, you know, so many people are about getting rid of what you don't want and then uh, settling, being okay with what you have. And he says, I don't think that way anymore. He says, I want to get rid of what I don't want. But he says, then I want to give myself to what remains. So if you get rid of your house plants, but you keep maybe that uh, citrus tree, well, could I give myself to that citrus tree? Less is more. Could I, instead of having a ton of clothes, could I have one closet full of vests from Ireland that I find pleasant? So he says, what are you giving yourself to? And then allow yourselves to fall into the truth of your being because the truth unhides itself. He uses a poem that says, I am withering into the truth. Withering into the truth. Well, he's 79. He's withering. And he says, by withering, he says, look at the lines on my face. That's the sign of my withering. I'm withering into the truth, not into the facts. The facts are the enemy of the truth. The facts come and go, but the truth is eternal. Well, he's withering into the truth, Dave. What does that mean? He's on the brink of withering into the truth, Jan. What does that mean? The truth is waking up in him. Oh, so I decided to go to someone who withered into the truth and died at age 12, Maddie Stepanek. Because Maddie Stepanek lived on the brink of every moment because he didn't have much time on the planet. 
his brothers and sisters had died. He knew it was his destiny, and yet he wanted to suck the marrow out of every moment that he had left on planet Earth. You know, I don't even have to seek in this book. I just can open, which is what I did this morning, because I said to Trey, who lives on the brink of everything? And he says, someone who isn't here anymore. I said, but who's here in spirit? So this is Maddie's little poem, and then I'll have Jody ring the bell. It's called The Future Echo. Whoa, The Future Echo. I think that's what we all are, is a future echo. He says, when I swing on a swing, I go everywhere. And yet, Miss Nancy, I go nowhere at all. It's like being in the middle of an echo that hasn't left me yet. And so it hasn't come back to me. I am between yesterday and tomorrow, but still in my life of now, when I swing on the swing, I feel so happy and excited and peaceful. And yet, I feel a little bit lonely about the time that will come when I will not be able to swing anymore. He knew that his time was limited, as we all get to know. But when I swing, I move back and forth in the everywhere and the nowhere. I move back and forth in the everywhere and the nowhere. He's not bound by an idea. And that is the understanding of an echo. The echo of my spirit that grows from my life. And that sounds like a peaceful but lonely cry for the times when I swing before I die. The echo of my spirit that grows from my life and that sounds like a peaceful but lonely cry for the times when I swing before I die. And so we know there is no death. And so Jody, if you'll ring the bell of eternal life, and we hear the echo of the bell uh, as the residual of sound. And know that the lovely words that Maddie spoke about still resonate like the sound of the bell in our heart, that we're everywhere and nowhere in this holy instant of now. That whatever age we are, a young 11-year-old boy writing this poem, or a 74-year-old man who is celebrating his birthday, we're still part of the one life. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so we enter spirit this Sunday morning with the music and the soul of Claude Debussy opening our hearts, the poetry of Maddie Stepanek reminding us that we're everywhere and nowhere at the same time, nowhere meaning now here. The wisdom of Parker Palmer at age 80, learning from an infant named Maya that at whatever age we find ourselves, we're on the brink of everything. And then we hear the Bible saying, this is the moment the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And so then we fall into the breath. Breath is another word for spirit. And we experience the breath one breath at a time. The breath doesn't think of past breaths when they were deeper and happier or future breaths when we might be more excited. No, the breath is content to be fully present now in the midst of whatever life has offered to us as the playground. 
is the gift. And we smile because we're accessing what Emerson calls this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose. And that's the oversoul. And it waits for us. And so I'd like you to find yourself at the threshold of your own life, at whatever age, wherever you find yourself. You're on the brink of everything in your life. And what is the view from the brink? What are you witnessing? As you look at your life from a distance, As you reflect on this beautiful life that you've been given, could we confer a blessing on it? May all that is unforgiven be released. May our fears yield their deepest tranquilities. And may all that is unlived within us blossom into our future, graced with love. And so we confer a blessing on this beautiful life that we've been given. We trust and know that mm, when conditions are right, things manifest. So instead of chasing after manifestations, we create in ourselves the condition for the manifestation. And so the condition for me is an open heart, an open mind, a willing and receptive body to take the next step, trusting and knowing that life will reveal to us what is required. And so we say yes to this life and we say yes to the beloved soul. Have your way with us. This life belongs to you. Discover the oneness in everything and show us how to be servants of the greater good that wants to be revealed. On the brink of this holy instant of now, we say yes, a thousand times yes. And we know that this divine presence is always there assisting us and showing us the way. So teach us and show us the way. As we look to nature, we see ourself. As we look to the, to the heavens, we see ourself. As we look to bacteria, <laughs> we see ourselves. And we realize there's only one here. Oh, and we smile. the emergence of the one in the many as the one, and you are that. So with grateful heart and sweet curiosity, I invite you to open your eyes, look at yourself, it's all you, it's all the one soul, it's not complicated. He's still here with us, his sweet soul is reminding us to get on the swing set of life and to let that inner child emerge. She's still there, he's still there. And that's where the gold lies, is in that child of wonder. You're on the brink of eight months old in an 80-year-old body, Miss Sylvia. You're on the brink of everything. We all are. Isn't that wonderful to know? There's, there's no destination. It's just the moment. So if you're ready to play in that playground of the unmanifest for eternity, show up next Sunday and we'll have fun.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You are love and you are light. Namaste. Thank you.